Hello and welcome to The Hard Report. My name's Edward Hardy and for today's interview I'm joined by Tom Steyer, a climate activist, a former candidate for president and the founder of Next Gen America and Next Gen Climate Action. Tom Steyer, thank you for joining me. Edward, it's a, it's a pleasure. You became a well-known figure in the Democratic Party in part due to your work supporting candidates who are committed to addressing climate change. To do that, you took a step away from a previous career that you'd had in finance, a successful career you'd had in finance. Why did you see that personally as important to step away from that previous work you were doing and enter this fight against climate change? Because I wanted people to know that I was acting in the most straightforward, value-driven motives possible. I didn't want anyone ever to say, I thought that if I stayed involved in investment, that every investment that I made would be looked at as, am I somehow trying to do something and then advocate to make myself rich? Am I doing something that is hypocritical because it's something that goes against the values that I'm espousing politically? The reason I ended my investment career and said, if I make any money out of clean energy, I'll put it into a foundation, was so people would know, I'm doing this because I think this is really important. I am desperately worried that we're not going to solve a crisis that is going to call, cause unlimited human suffering. Mm-hmm. And I am going to stop making money and uh, specifically make sure that people understand that is my only goal in this, is to make sure that we do the right thing, that we act expeditiously, and we prevent untold human suffering. President Joe Biden took office just over a week ago, but he's already leapt into tackling a number of significant issues, climate change being one of them. On day one, he signs the US back up to the Paris Climate Accord. He cancelled the Keystone XL pipeline, and he's directed agencies to reverse more than 100 Trump administration actions on the environment. In fact, the day we're recording this has been dubbed Climate Day by the new administration. What do you think about his first days in office and what further steps, if further steps are, would you like to see happen next? Well, let me start by saying that um, I co-chaired a group doing environmental outreach for the Biden campaign. And that group included labor leaders, environmental justice leaders, business leaders, basically supporting the very broad-based environmental um, goals that the campaign ran on and which we're now seeing enacted, Edward. So I think what we see, this, we're within the first week of the administration, as you said, and we're already seeing executive actions backing up large parts of what the campaign promised. The campaign also had a Build Back Better plan that was specifically about rebuilding the infrastructure of America to the tune of $2 trillion, creating millions of good-paying union jobs, and specifically addressing the environmental injustice, which has been the disproportionate poisoning of underserved Black and Brown communities. So what I see here, and what I expect to see, is a fulfilling of promises from the campaign and a lot of momentum. A great team executing a plan that is ambitious and broad-based and has very ambitious goals, which were promised and fulfilling those promises. You mentioned there about the issue of racial inequality when it comes to climate change and climate action. And as part of his work to tackle climate change, 
President Biden is establishing the first ever White House Environmental Justice Interagency Council. How interlinked are climate issues and these equality issues that he's raising here? They're absolutely linked. There is no way to address climate change effectively without addressing environmental, racial, and economic injustice. And that's something that, you know, I, I was running a, a statewide uh, proposition in California over 10 years ago. And it was very clear that unless, if you're going to talk about pollution, if you're going to talk about environmentalism, if you're going to talk about climate action, unless you're going to the people who are most directly affected by pollution and environmental degradation, which is underserved black and brown communities who have air and water that literally makes them sick, then you're not going to have the people who are most directly affected. Your policies won't, in fact, be the human-centered policies that are necessary. So you can't fit this in at the end. This is not a, a nice add-on. This is absolutely essential. Justice is absolutely essential to any effective climate policy in the United States or around the world. When it comes to linking climate change to other issues, while voters on the whole support taking action, we see politicians push back, they claim policies are too costly, they're expensive proposals. But President Biden has taken a new approach. He's linking his economic agenda with his climate agenda. And over 150 business leaders have backed that approach in a recent letter. Do you think it's time for people to retire that attack line, which I'm sure people will use in all these proposals that put forward that this is too costly to move forward with? Well, that is not a new line. To be honest, Edward, when we were running that prop over 10 years ago, and we've run a series of other propositions and always won around the United States, we always talk about clean energy job creation. We always talk about the health benefits to clean air and clean water. So the, uh, it is not new. Look, we're in a situation where the United States and the world have irrevocably moved, irrevocably moved to clean energy, irrevocably. The question is now not whether that's going to happen. The question is how it's going to happen and who's going to leave. So we can have this happen and the jobs be created in Shanghai, or we can have this happen and have the jobs be created in the United States and Europe. But it is going to happen, and we are all committed to it because we have to be. The, the old lie that you could either have a healthy economy and a healthy employment rate, or you could have a sustainable environment was always a lie. It's, you know, I've spent years debunking that lie. And it's, you know, I think Americans know and have known for over a decade, including Republican voters, that in fact, if we're going to have a clean energy economy, that is going to create millions of net new good paying union jobs. And it's time for us to, I think that conversation has to be over. And the only question now is how best to address our crisis in a way that's people centered and positive. And I think that's where we are, honestly. There's a ton of momentum behind the Biden administration and this move to clean energy. You mentioned there being a country that leads on this topic and goes forward, sets an example to the world on climate change. When the US pulled out of the Paris Climate Accord, it sent a message to countries around the world that America is not serious about this issue, that the previous administration was not going to take this issue in any way as a key priority for them. 
and the fight against climate change can't be a domestic fight. It's an international fight. Countries have to be united. How can the US work now to ensure other countries know that this is top of their list and also know that they need to get on board, join this international fight, bring them into the fold so that they see the US is not just leading, but it wants to work with them on this? Well, I think it's obvious from the first week of the Biden administration, it's obvious from the Biden-Harris campaign that this administration is absolutely 100% behind the move to sustainability, climate response, and clean energy. And so I think that's true both in terms of what we're doing domestically, but very much in terms of how we're acting with our partners and allies around the world, particularly including Europe specifically, that in fact, this is going to be part of our Secretary of State's job. This is going to be part of every bilateral and multilateral conversation America has. And I think the proof of this, Edward, very much is going to be in the lead up to Glasgow next November. You know, I think that that is going to be a pivotal moment in terms of climate response and America's participation and, you know, cooperation and partnership with other countries around the world is going to be critical to making sure that the world moves as fast as it must move to, to respond to what is a global problem. And in particular, you know, there are technological reasons that, you know, this has to happen. And honestly, I have been, I'm super optimistic about this. And partly because I know as we see the developing world build new capacity, build new electricity generating capacity, you know, build new, you know, all of the moves to being developed countries, the technology is cheaper that's clean. And that's going to continue, that differential is going to continue to widen so that there's going to be no real incentive to build a coal plant. You know, the incentives, the purely economic incentives are going to be on, to move to clean energy and clean products. And that is something that's a result of tons of research and tons of engineering and innovation and that has to continue. And that, you know, the United States, look, has got to be a huge part of in cooperation with our partners around the world. When you entered the presidential race in 2020, you said that if you were elected, you would declare a national emergency to tackle climate change. We saw the previous administration use a national emergency to build a pointless border wall and direct towards <laughs> there. Do you think President Biden should declare a national emergency on climate change? And if so, how does that, for those that might not be aware, how does that allow a president to tackle a problem of this scale? Well, I mean, if you look at where the United States is right now, we've got overlapping crisis. You know, like everybody around the world, we're dealing with a COVID crisis. We're dealing with a sharp economic crisis. We're dealing with systemic racism and we're dealing with a climate crisis. I think the Biden-Harris administration has declared in effect a, a climate emergency. They've declared it both how they've structured and organized their administration. They've declared it with the series of um, you know, executive actions. But I think also they're making it clear that we have to see this as a huge opportunity as a country, both to, to lead in terms of research, development, engineering, entrepreneurship, but also go back to the idea that the United States stands for something. That in fact, 
we're a country that has deep values, that we live those values, that we promote those values, and we never give up on them. And so, look, I don't know if you know this, Edward, but I spent two years of my life trying to get Donald Trump removed from office. I felt that he was a direct threat to the American people, that he was had broken the law, and that it, that it was imperative for us to get rid of him as soon as possible because of the dire impact he had on us, and by the way, on the rest of the world. So, you know, I think what we see with this new administration is the American people agreeing on that. I think we saw it then subsequently in the elections in Georgia, giving the control of the Senate to the Democratic Party. And I am very optimistic that there's a ton of momentum behind the values and the uh, you know, kind of program, the policies of this new administration across the board, and that we will go back to a country that has an effective government that actually cares, is value-driven and cares about the American people. So, you know, I see this all as one big package that you can't separate these issues. And that, in fact, what the Biden administration is doing is pretty much so far been pitch perfect. The other policy that you've talked about believing necessary to introduce was passing a Green New Deal. You were one of the supporters of that during your time in the presidential campaign. And there are still supporters in Congress. Part of the Green New Deal have been adopted by the Biden administration, and they're going to implement those, even if not the the full package as it was billed, as it was listed and, and named. Do you think that the Green New Deal should still be pursued as that package of legislation? You, you know, Edward, if you actually, I, I've read the Green New Deal. It's really not a set of legislation. It's really kind of an orientation and a, a set of goals. And the real point behind the Green New Deal was climate is not an isolated, siloed issue. It's an issue that has to be connected, as I said earlier, to justice. It's an issue that has to be absolutely critical to the way we do economic development in the United States. It's absolutely related to our foreign policy. It's really an idea that addressing our climate crisis goes across all the departments of government and really all the policies of government, including transportation and housing and you know international affairs. So in fact, I think that the, the ideas and the values behind the Green New Deal are in fact very much a part of what's going on in the United States right now, that we are unifying behind the idea of moving to climate response. That, that includes the majority of Republican voters and that we are now, you know, the idea of everything coming together is something that's part of the administration and part of the policy, and I absolutely support that. Discussing the issue of climate change, you've stated that, quote, if you give corporations the unlimited ability to participate in politics, it will skew everything because they only care about profits. And we are seeing, to be fair, some business leaders supporting the move towards climate change. But how much damage do you think the influence of corporations on politics has had on this fight and the progress that we could have made already tackling climate change? Well, you know, Mostly I don't want to look back, but there's no doubt in my mind at all that in fact, corporate money in, in, in politics has slowed, it, has slowed it down, has changed the uh, conversation, has gone the normal route of, you know, we need to study this more, we need to stay with the status quo longer, and it's been very deleterious. I am 
I was in business for 30 years. I have plenty of friends who have been in the private sector for their entire career, whom I respect, like, and intend to have you know, relationships with my whole life. I do not denigrate them. I also know they view their job as making money for their companies. That's their job. Does and and you know so uh, when they're talking politically, they are always wearing their job hat. Look, it's the business of the elected leaders of a country to represent the people of this country. The people who are running corporations are representing their shareholders and their companies. So I think it's absolutely appropriate to hear what they have to say, but to be aware that at no point are they acting, you know, in the broad public interest. They may be highly, you know have tons of integrity, tons of values, tons of honor, but their job is to make sure that their companies act successfully within the law. And that's what I expect. And I think that in, in the case of this, there was an absolute corruption of the, co the political conversation around clean energy and climate that was done by companies who were profiting off dirty energy. It's, I hope it's in the past, but I know that what happened was time is of the essence. That's why I said I declare a climate emergency and we have to end that forever. President Biden set an aggressive goal of getting the US to completely clean electricity by 2035 and net zero emissions across the economy by 2050. While that's an important target, that's an ambitious target, and it's a target that arguably the US desperately needs to meet. There are people who obviously fear that's easier said than done. There are some that would argue that's a very realistic goal. How do you see that target? Do you think the US can meet that? Of course we can make that. I mean, there's no question about it. It's you know, I think one of the things that's great about this is we can meet it and we can have lower costs. You know, the, the, the great thing is that 10 years ago, if you'd said we had to do that, you know, with those time intervals, it would have been something that would have been very expensive to do. This is a crisis. We have to get it done. The good news is the engineering is better than anyone would have expected at this point. I'm expecting a lot of further advances in terms of efficiency, cost, and effectiveness. And I know that not only do we have to do that, but we definitely can do it. One area that you've been involved in is talking about the issue of wealth distribution. And according to Forbes, it claims you're worth 1.4 billion. You've signed the giving pledge to donate half of your fortune to charity. And with conversations about inequality growing in America, we've seen the billionaires who've not made similar pledges have seen their wealth exponentially grow while Americans have suffered during this pandemic. What message do you think that sends to the American people? And as someone who's recognized the importance of redistributing wealth that's been built up, how important do you think it is for Congress to tackle this issue head on? Look, I think we have unbearable, undemocratic, unsupportable discrepancies in income and wealth distribution in the United States of America, and it's unacceptable. And, you know, I've tried to make it clear that that is not, that I don't believe in generational wealth, that in fact, everybody who makes money in, in the United States is building off a system that was created by literally millions of other people some of them enslaved people, some of them who served uh, in wars to try and protect freedom, liberty, you know, and the constitution. And that anyone who believes that they did it on their own and doesn't, isn't part of a system and doesn't owe responsibility and, uh, you know, 
gratitude to literally millions of people, most of whom probably died destitute, is in my mind incredibly ungracious and ridiculously inaccurate. So I think it's important in this system to realize that we are gonna rise and fall together and that in fact, that's how the system should work and that we should, have, we should do everything we can to make sure that in fact, we rise and fall together and that we support the most vulnerable amongst us and give them the opportunity to succeed in the way that I was lucky enough to have a chance to succeed. According to one estimate, the world's 10 richest men saw their wealth increase by $540 billion between March and December, 2020. That money would be enough to vaccinate everyone in the world and ensure no one had fallen into poverty due to the pandemic. When we're talking about large, important topics like climate change, we talked about how Joe Biden's plan is a, is a $2 trillion plan. In response to the increase in wealth, some have proposed a, a greed tax, a wealth tax that can help to fund these important programs that would address inequality, would improve society at large. Do you think that's something Congress should be looking at? When I was running for president, I talked about a wealth tax every day. You know, I, I think that we're in a place that's honestly unsupportable. And I think that to a very large extent, all of the things we're talking about in terms of justice, equity, um, you know, the need to address common problems together, the need to, you know, speak truthfully about what's going on all come back to values and the need for us to reestablish a value-driven society. I think that's at the heart of everything. And so, you know, in all of these things, I believe that is the central question to us addressing climate. And that's why I'm very happy that Joe Biden's president, honestly, I think he's somebody who ran on values and that's something that's gonna be critical for the United States in reestablishing ourselves globally, in reestablishing ourselves domestically, and to ending the divide here, that in fact, we go back to a country that has accepted values and norms that we live up to at home and abroad. That's what I've been fighting for. And I've really been fighting for the idea that it, you know, we should be preserving the world, protecting the most vulnerable and doing the right thing. That's all I've been doing. And that's really what climate's all about. Finally, where can people find out more about your work, the work of Next Gen Climate Action and the work you're doing with climate power to raise awareness of these issues? Next Gen is the, the biggest youth voter mobilization effort in American history. Young people vote at half the rate of other Americans. My goal is to make sure that that ends. It's, I've been doing this for eight years. You can go online and see Next Gen America. We've had an incredible impact in terms of empowering and engaging young people and encouraging them to be part of a political system that many of them have never seen work effectively. So getting online and doing that, or you can go to at Tom Steyer, go on my website and see exactly what I've been doing. But you know, consistently, I've been working for over a decade on justice for people, the need to respond to climate, and the idea that we can do all of it, be better paid, more prosperous, and a lot fairer across society. Tom Steyer, thank you for joining me. Edward Hardy, thank you for having me. That was Tom Steyer, a climate activist, a former candidate for president, and the founder of Next Gen America and Next Gen Climate Action. You can find out more about him on Twitter at Tom Steyer and Next Gen America at Next Gen America or nextgenamerica.org. That's all for today's episode. What did you think about the interview? Let me know on Twitter at Edward T. Hardy. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star rating and subscribe or recommend this podcast by submitting a review online and sharing it with friends and family. Until next time, goodbye.